Today's podcast is brought to you by Eggshell Light Company. For over 45 years, Eggshell Light Company has been the go-to specialty shop handling the lighting needs for all that grace the shores of beautiful Hawaii. Combining the artistic methods of the theater with the speed and efficiency of the musical touring industry, they have pioneered event lighting throughout the Hawaiian Islands. They specialize in supply of top shelf equipment and designers for broadcast concerts, corporate, and special events. From the smallest weddings to televised concerts and the largest corporate clients, they know this is your most important event. It is their goal to make sure you feel that way. Aloha from Eggshell Light Company. Welcome everyone to another episode of LD at Large Podcast. My name is Chris Lose. I am the designer relations developer at Ayrton Lighting as well as columnist for PLSN Magazine. I hope you're all enjoying listening and reading. I am very excited today to have a very special guest because I've been receiving a lot of questions lately about the future of our industry and what's going to happen. Obviously, in our professional and our personal lives, there's just so much uncertainty. Nobody knows what's going to be happening tomorrow. Um, Every time I get a phone call about some sort of a gig, it always comes with this disclaimer of, you know, of course it's confirmed, but it maybe it won't. Maybe it's not, you know, we don't know. Uh, We can't even be booking shows a month out right now because we have no clue what's going to be happening. But what I am seeing is a lot of people getting work in the virtual world. And those ones don't come with quite the same disclaimer because they're they're a little bit more of a safe bet. There's uh, there's far less precautions as opposed to a full live event. You can do a an event with one person or two people on a stage that can be shown to millions. And I'm seeing a lot of people transition from lighting into AR, VR, and even XR. And they're staying afloat. So uh, on my side, I'm I'm so entrenched in lighting. It's kind of concerning to me because like, where's my, has my niche been filled? So these are all very real concerns. So I, I think I found somebody today who's willing to kind of venture into these questions with me. His name is Vincent Steinhook. He is the founder and managing director at Evoke Studios. He is in London as we speak. Thank you so much, Vincent, for being uh, willing to explore these questions with me. Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. I have seen some of the stuff that you've been posting, and it is amazing. These are the things that I never would have thought were even possible, and I'm hoping that you can uh, kind of speak of these things with me today. Yeah, for sure. I think we're very excited to uh, delve into some of these topics with you, for sure. So let's start with you first. You have a lighting background, but you have completely been consumed by the digital virtual world. Yeah, that's true. So I I would say in professional terms, my my background in lighting is is somewhat limited. Uh, I used to work in theater and uh, I was a lighting tech and I, I, I loved everything about it basically. Uh, and uh, working in the Netherlands, that that knows a touring culture for theater, which means that shows are pulled out of a truck in the morning and then they run at night and then they go back in the truck on the same day. So um, there's always something to complain about, basically, because it's it's always a compromise as far as level of finish is concerned. Uh, it's not like in the West End or Broadway where things are built and they are there for a good long time. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so that led me to wanting to do 
lighting design and that made me move to London uh, because I think if you want to learn theater, you can go to New York or you can go to London, but those are the two best options. And I went to London, studied lighting design, but I was really always fascinated with uh, projection mapping and so video basically. And uh, towards the end of my course, I had done some work with uh, Green Hippo and, and D3 and I ended up uh, choosing basically preferring my technical background over becoming a lighting designer. Uh, because it would just suit me a little bit better. Yeah, so I joined D3 and I worked there for four years, flew all over the place and worked on all manner of shows. And then I freelanced for a bit, toured with Bruno Mars and kind of out of that grew the need to start Evoke because if you're on your own, you're, you, you're going to have to turn things down at some point. Mm-hmm. And I don't like turning things down. And, you know, if you can do more, you should basically just do more. And I think with Evoke, we have been... Uh, responsive to what the industry needs right now which looks an awful lot like xr and ar and they are not i don't think it's a trend i think it's here to stay i agree um cool so let's back up just a little bit so you 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 understood the power of lighting and then you saw that the media server world could add to that and d3 definitely took the world of media servers to another level I mean, media servers used to be you could be you could manipulate, you could play back, you could maybe change the color, you could mirror and do some things. But D3 mm-hmm. took it to a whole nother level where you're taking live input, you're manipulating live. And that must have been s- such an exciting world to be a part of where you were people could ask you, like, can you do this? And you could go into D3 and go like, give me a second, let me figure out how to make that happen. And you could do it. Like there, there was no, you never had to say no. How did that, how was no. that for you? Okay, so um, I'm, I will just preface, I used to work for the company. I'm not here to endorse anyone in particular. Absolutely. They, like for me personally, it was great to, I joined that company when there were like 12, 13, 14 people. And, right. and you know, we saw them kind of take over the world and dig into all of these different markets. And the answer that was always to be provided was basically yes. Can you do this? Probably you can. We just have to think about it. And to our clients right now, the answer is still largely the same. Yeah. D3 is not the answer for everything, but it can probably do it. <laughs> and I think, but this is really the way. I'm not saying you're going to get there in the most efficient way, but you're going to have a way of doing it. And maybe sometimes it is the most efficient way. Some, some things, some terribly huge problems are really... I don't want to say simple or easy, but they are relatively straightforward to resolve in, 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 in D3, or we should call it disguise, I guess. But then some terribly simple things make you jump through all kinds of hoops that make you go, really, I need to do all... Okay, fine. But you do it, and it gets the job done. And at the end of the day, it gets the job done, you know? And I think that's that's how it is, and it keeps us, well, like you say, afloat. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm very happy that they started developing these... Um, these XR workflows uh, a few years ago now. Okay, so coming from the world of disguise and stuff, you have have basically become a default yes sort of person. If somebody comes to you with the craziest ideas, (laughs) can you, you're like, let's let's see what we can do to make that happen. Is that- No, I would actually, I would somewhat contest that actually, because as much as we like saying yes, I'm like, we, I have an approach of uh, testing things. And, okay. and and you need to, everything we do is basically unique. 
So you can't just have the same answer to everything. Okay. I mean, yes, this product can probably do a lot of these things, right? But you always need to make sure that your benchmarks are correct, that your bandwidth is not, you know, you need to look at, do we have the right features to do this? What level of finish do we need? Because if you look at XR, that's really a thing you need to look at because it does some things really well. Connecting mm -hmm. people to a virtual space, it does better than anything. But like color accuracy within the volume and then your, where your set extension goes, well, you know, I mean, you pay a price somewhere, no matter what you do, basically. So, and XR is really, really no different. So, so, and especially with XR, the answer is not always yes. It's more like, what do you need to do? And then your requirements really define what the system needs to be able to do. And then also you need the right people for it. Gotcha. Um, okay. So let's yeah. back up for some of my newer listeners. When you're using the terms AR, VR, and XR, what are you? What are the differences between the three? Okay, so if we the well, I presume the oldest one is VR, uh, which would be virtual reality. Uh, yes. So VR is enabled by HMDs or head-mounted displays, and they are usually uh, not. I've seen some shared experiences, but mostly. These are single person experiences, right? Because you can only wear one headset and then you're in that world and the person next to you is probably not unless you track multiple of them. And there are some of these experiences where multiple people but uh, are in the same virtual world, but you would be completely in the virtual world. Right. Uh, VR is very helpful when it comes to scouting in these virtual worlds or, or of course, previs. It's, it's quite a common tech by now. It's, you know, there's nothing special about it, but it, it works and has its place. It's a great way to give somebody a unique point of view from somebody else's vision. I mean, you can create virtual worlds. Uh, it's, it's a great communication tool because yeah. it means that, and, and, you know, maybe you or I think in, in images or, or, you know, you have an idea and you know exactly it's like a picture in your head, but that doesn't mean the picture looks the same to someone else. Right. And also some people just don't. So if you can just sketch something up in 3D space and you can give them a headset and say, hey, put this on, then they instantly get it. They know, yeah. oh, I can, I, can, I can walk through here to there. I have this much space. I can have this freedom of movement. This effect is happening here. You can really block stuff out and space people. And that's, that's something that you couldn't do without that. Okay. And then AR. What's, what is AR? So AR is augmented reality. Uh, I think it's a... All of these realities use really fancy terminology for things that are basically not that fancy, but don't mm -hmm. tell the marketing people. Um, <laughs> so augmented reality in most cases means either from a static or a moving perspective, usually from a camera, uh, we render graphics on top of a live feed or we add something to it. Right. And this can be, and usually this is what's known as front plate. So this is something that we render in front of people. So it can be an object that can be in front of people. It can be a mesh. It can be a set piece. It can be anything you like, but it's rendered on top of uh, the real world. So uh, one key benefit to it is that you can have real lighting with haze to a degree and combine that with AR you have to still balance that because if you have too much haze, then the graphics are not really going to connect to that same image so well, but it gives you some freedom basically. And then, so there are benefits to that again, depending entirely on your use case, 
uh, that yeah solve a problem. And then there's XR, which stands for extended reality. And that is usually driven uh, through an LED volume. And an LED volume in basis means uh, the basic setup is a cube. So we have two walls in a 90 degree angle with a floor. That's one setup. You can also have curved walls. You can have one screen. You have some freedom to design there. Uh, but what we do there is uh, we place, we, we reproject a virtual world into the LED volume again from a camera perspective. But the camera can also pan outside of that LED volume and then the world continues. And the idea is that that continues in a, in a seamless fashion. And it means you can make really large camera sweeps into the volume, but it means you can you can zoom out, you can you can make anything you want, but basically you can believably put people into a virtual space uh, better than green screen can. And it's uh, and I don't really want to delve into that whole world because there's also green screen replacement, which is also you basically using LED usually in in film situations like next to a car, and then you playback, you know, moving images next to that. And it means that you can read light in people's eyes as the car is driving, or you can see that light bouncing off of the car. Mm -hmm. So there's benefits to basically doing things not in green. But then in XR, if I move my camera too far, uh, where the set extension begins, that's always in front of the real image. So I will also start cutting people off, basically. If my arm goes in there, like this, basically, now my hand is cut off. This is what happens if I stick my arm into the set extension. Right. So you have to think about your, your camera angles um, quite a bit more. But it's it's such a, it's a, it's an amazing technology, really, to to create a lot of freedom in, in, in basically set design, actually. Uh, and, and it gives companies a lot of freedom uh, as far as designing their productions right. is concerned. But there are some really big considerations as well, because a lot of what used to happen in post-production now happens in production. So if your yeah. graphics, you know, this is a really big deal. So if your graphics don't are not properly optimized, if it doesn't run in real time, if you're dropping frames, <laughs> your recording is bad. Right. And you cannot fix that in post. So it's really high pressure basically to make sure that everything runs as it needs to, that your systems are fine, that your tracking is clean, uh, and that your your graphics are as good as they can be. Cool. So before we get overly technical, if anybody wants to go like take a very deep dive into this with Vincent, you can go to evokestudios.io. But what I want to do is I want to get into some of the, the questions that I've uh, been concerned about that have come to me. So if somebody wanted to do a live show even a decade ago with a dragon, they needed the entire scenery and props department to build a dragon because it wasn't going to be seen through a camera or on anybody's lens in any way. It was going to be straight to their eyes. But mm -hmm. now almost we, we have to consider everything for cameras, whether it be somebody's personal iPhone or their laptop or their TV screen, everything has to be considered for filming now. So if somebody wants a dragon, they can reach out to a team of programmers to create that dragon for them. Now they don't need wood or pneumatics or uh, anything like that. And they can do it for a fraction of the price. 
That's got to be very oh, enticing. Know about that? <laughs> <laughs> At least sure less money, time, but... maybe. Yeah, um, maybe. It depends. Again, it all depends. You know, depending it on the detail, on the... of course. That's got to be very enticing for people to go. Well, if I want a dragon, I'm gonna have a team of people sitting at a computer build me a dragon instead of uh, a props department build me a dragon. Yep, that's true. And so, the dragon that you can build can do so many more things. It can fly. Of course it can. But this, okay, I think this actually dwindles down to the fact that not everyone's going to agree with this. People in the seats at the show, they don't matter. Uh, the millions of viewers at home matter. Right. That's really what it boils down to. It, there's been a lot, all of these large uh, arena or stadium-sized uh, AR, this is usually AR, AR shows. Yeah, the audience doesn't see anything. And it's because it doesn't, they, they simply don't matter enough. They, they're not the ones that bring in the money. So they don't, they're not the ones that get the show, which is a bit odd if you really think about it. Right? There still yeah. can still be a hundred thousand people there, and they don't see the same thing that you see at home, and that's yeah, that's how it goes. Yeah, that's progress. <laughs> how different is that from even fifteen years ago when live shows were designed for the people? When I think about it, I think of award shows being the the largest offender of what you're talking about right now. The the people in the audience, they're actually yeah. part of the set. They're actually filming the celebrities in the audience, not because they care about how they experience the show. It's because they are the show. Yeah, that's how it goes. No, I think it's uh, it's to be expected, you know, like and, and I think maybe at some point there will be a, a return to that, you know, because it's kind of uh, cyclical there. If you look at theater directors from what now, maybe 70 years ago, 80 years ago, Theater used to be flats, right? We had painted flats, and right. uh, that's that's how it started. Then you started getting directors that said, "No, no, you can't paint stairs. We actually need the depth physically, because then it's really there. Then I believe it. I need my actors to really have depth on stage. I need to have physical props. I need to have these things, and then I believe it." Or mm -hmm. if you look at what, basically, so we went fully full depth, real physical depth, and then what did we get now? LED screens, which are flat again. So we just went back 100 years design-wise to then put flat images on the flat screens again. And everyone's okay with it. And I think for a while, people will be until they notice, okay, yeah, if we have more physical people in the space, you need more physical items. Because otherwise it's not a show, right? It doesn't work. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I think XR and AR are really well <laughs> shooted for a pandemic-ridden planet. It's the perfect technology because you don't need a lot of people to make it. And it's for people that are not in the, in the space. It's for people that work and sit remotely. And it's perfect for that. And that's what we need right now. Mm -hmm. I, I hope that you and I both agree that this will never replace live shows. But I feel like after the pandemic, uh, we will definitely have all the technology to complement live shows now. Yeah, so this is a really uh, so. Thank you for asking that question and making that point. I yeah, I I really I fully agree with that statement. So we we for the Amsterdam Dance Event, uh, which is a really large gathering, basically of you know people who love electronic music, and and it takes a lot of production usually, and it draws in tons of crowds, and and that happened virtually this year, and 
it's the first time we did that one in AR. And the overruling feeling I had is I've never been this close to being at a show and not being there. And I wow. was in the room. So I was like, dude, I'm right here. The guy's right there. And I still like this close. Why isn't the line array blasting in my face? Where is it? You know, it's like that sensation. No, it does not exist. I mean, think about this, right? If you go to some dance party, you need towers, high line arrays. To, that energy needs to be, it needs to hit you. And if you're at home on your laptop, where is that energy? I mean, what is that? That's not the same thing. No. This is not the same thing. And people need that. You know, they need to feel that basically rubbing up against other sweaty people because that's what people like, right? Right. So I don't think that's going to go away. This is the whole reason why people refuse to wear masks, right? And this kind of helps us as an industry that people are somewhat ignorant sometimes. You know, they like being in large groups together, whether it's good or it's bad, they're still going to do that. Your opinion has no value. They're going to do that. And yeah, yeah. so I definitely believe that when this pandemic is, is you know, managed, people will return and they will want to party. So so I think that the, the thing that we have as a proxy is these kind of integrated Zoom meetings which do actually, uh, uh, speaking personally, uh, better than expected from my end, uh, they actually do provide a, a shared experience. We, saw, we, we had uh, some Zoom integrations going there and there were actually people like asking for each other's phone numbers. And then you saw like a family that was dancing with a baby on the table and everyone could see this and it was quite fun. It was actually, a remote but shared experience but is that the same thing as a live event heck no. no no it's it's nowhere near the same and yeah i think you will see uh when these shows come back that ar will just have become a natural part of it it will not replace it uh and because they're what Jeez, imagine, you know, you're 14 years old, you're going to see the band that you love, you're going to want to mm -hmm. run through that stadium, and you're going to want to be the first, and you're going to want to hold your pee in for four hours, because you, you, you were the first there. What, exactly. <laughs> what is that experience? Like, you don't, I don't know, I, I don't think people want to replace that with anything. Uh, I, you know, are we getting closer to just living in a VR headset? Yeah, sure, a tiny touch. Yeah. But that's a long ways away. It's a double-edged sword. I, during the pandemic, I am eternally grateful for the ability to be able to Zoom and see other people, like-minded people on my, on my screen. But at the same time, I think we both agree that it's not, it's not the same. It, it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful soother. Uh, it's a pacifier, but it's not a replacer. Yeah, no, I mean, Zoom fatigue is a really real thing, right? Oh, like, it's a real thing. It's, that's a real thing. And, uh, you know, and that's, but then at some point, you're going to have to accept that the world is where it is as well. Because we also have clients coming to us, yeah, well, we want a lot of people in here, but they do have Zoom fatigue. So we don't want Zoom into, so then, yeah. Uh, how are we going to solve this problem now? <laughs> hey, you can always ask the question, I guess, but, yeah, you know. Yeah. Just make them not fatigued, okay? Please do that. Yeah, exactly. Just we will just provide Red Bull and it'll all be fine. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that always comes to mind for this one is, for me, I'm a I'm primarily a programmer and director, 
So the designers come to me and they give me a list mm. of about three options and I have to pick between one of the three. Yep. All right. My brain doesn't work so well with infinite possibilities. Whereas your world is full of infinite possibilities. How do you, how do you manage that? Like uh, when somebody's, when a presenter is standing on a stage full of led, yep. you can put anything. How do you, how do you manage the, the realm of possibilities? Okay, so uh, I I think that our baseline is that just because we work in a virtual space doesn't mean that physics don't apply. Like this is number one, and okay. and it means that if we if you apply, you know, set design sensibilities, you can. That, that's how we design virtual sets. You still need people still need a platform to stand on, right? But then what does the platform look like? Okay, well. How are these people going to move? Where can they move? Well, the LED volume will largely tell you where you can't move because you can't move outside of it. So you only have that amount of room to move. Great. Okay, so we have that. Then there's probably some kind of ident or some kind of package design that either is designed by us or someone basically gives that to us to, to base a design on. And uh, and then we ask other questions like, what do you need video inputs? Or if we're doing an award show, do we need to show, you know, what what needs what else needs to come on stage? Basically, okay, we need some kind of video inputs. Great. Are we gonna just show those? Is there gonna be alpha in the image? Are we gonna have a large object that we're gonna use as a video surface? I mean, you can just explore these ideas basically, and then you'll you'll find what is the way for that show. And then depending usually on resources, you can go higher resolution, bigger models, more details in your texturing, and that will basically kind of define the scope, right? Like things aren't actually infinite. They just feel that way at the start for a brief moment. And this is sometimes also still how we have to spec systems. Like right now we're specking the system out for a relatively large XR job and we don't get to talk to the content people until the contracts are signed. So how do we really know what they are gonna make? Well, we don't, but we can tell you, well, look, with this system, you can run this resolution at this frame rate and you can do these things. You can do front plate, back plates, that's it. It doesn't need to be higher resolution, great. Then we spec a number of more machines. Do you need redundancy? Great, bunch more machines. So it's, it's not that difficult from our end to kind of figure out what we need in order to do our jobs okay but if it comes to content yeah i mean it, sometimes questions are slightly how long is a piece of string you know but at some point you just make a drawing or something you propose it and you go well we think this works for these reasons and then people like it or they don't and you make adjustments accordingly so the design process is actually completely the same as if you would make a normal set okay um, but this is why I basically asked the question a while ago, like, yeah, but are we doing set designers jobs now? Is that, where does that go? Yeah. Are we? I think we are. Yeah, I think I you agree. And, and to go back to your initial worry of like, yeah, but what I'm doing lighting, where do I fit in? Well, lighting is really essential when it comes to, I think TV in, in general and broadcast and film is essential. Uh, and XR and AR are really no different. It's just that with there's certain rules when it comes to lighting for XR. 
there's things you can't really do. You can't use softs as much as you normally would because we need to connect the colors of especially a floor to what we call a set extension, which is basically graphics that take over where the physical LED volume ends. Mm -hmm. And if there is a brightness difference or a color difference or reflections, it doesn't connect and it breaks the, the whole thing basically. So that's something that's a bit new and, and whoever is going to be the LD needs to be sensitive towards that. But so far, I think people have been and it is okay. Yeah, that's a whole um, new learning curve there. Yeah, but it's a whole new learning curve for everybody because it's really like you better learn how to do this or what is your basically what's your right to exist right now? Well, I don't know. It's pretty difficult. Yeah, you know, I feel, yeah, uh, you know, no one can basically look into the future that well. You can only gauge, well, this is a good way of doing things. And I don't think pre-pandemic anyone, I, I definitely, of course, this tech was being developed before the pandemic was a thing. Right. So people knew this was the future and it is the way to go for a number of reasons. But I don't think people spent particularly that much time thinking, oh, yeah, but this is also great if there is a pandemic. No, it's just how it turned out and now everyone needs it so i think pre-pandemic the the primary motivation was the environmental factor like i mm -hmm. need to get this message to 100 people instead of having 100 people fly to las vegas yeah. to hear my message i wanted to create a believable presentation to send them in an email and that was the primary factor now it's not just a motivation it's a necessity yeah, it's a necessity and it's also, it really does add production value as well. And I really believe that. So so if you look at large corporations that still need to do um, product presentations, for instance, it is a perfect format for it because you can show their products in really high resolution uh, to the point where it looks like a real machine, for instance, and, and it works. And, and you can have people on stage that are not presenters and they are still comfortable within that volume. It's not like green screen where people have no reference to where they are unless they happen to look on that screen, but they also mm. need to read their auto cue and it's more difficult. Whereas here they can see it and, and it's a much faster, more natural process. So when you were kind of describing the design process, a lot of the stuff came out of necessity. You said that you needed a platform to stand on. You needed a, a podium for them, for the presenters. How do you know when some of the ideas are adding to the message or they're just more impressive than the message. I've seen a lot of them where it's just somebody trying to talk about a product and the backgrounds are just wildly more impressive than the product. And I, not yours, of course, <laughs> but I have seen some of them where they're like, what is going on? You guys have completely overproduced this. It's as if they used as if they didn't funnel down the uh, the list of possibilities and they're just like, well, we can do all of this. And so they did. How do you funnel down to the the key elements that are necessary? Okay, so I think this is where we try. I mean, look, all of this stuff is super new, right? So but I, <laughs> yes. I do think it's, uh, I do think as a studio, we, we that's, that's one of the ways in which we try and set ourselves apart. Because I like to think that we have some understanding of what works in camera and therefore that kind of, there's multiple factors here. There's interaction, there's parallax in camera, which is super important. There's what does my camera fly through? There's 
how, how can I occlude my, my image? Are there things that my camera can move behind? And all of that creates interesting things to look at, basically. That's what tends to busy us. I, I think the analogy of, you know, think of when, when moving lights came out. It's really awesome that we can do all of these things, but it doesn't mean I need to use all of it. I, yeah. you know, it's like Pandora's box. I can open it and I can pull out everything, but it's not going to be an uncohesive mess, right? So you <laughs> yes. have, you just have to curate. So this is why we kind of go by the requirements. It's maybe it sounds really boring, but it's really important that you know that you, you know, deliver the requirements, and then everything else is sugar on top. Right. Mm. If you want to make outrageous, beautiful, big looking things. Yeah. I mean, this is the tech in which you can do it because it's literally a video game. You are making a video game world and you're putting real people into it. So, yeah, you can go bananas and it's great and it might work really well, but it might look a bit, eh, you know. So and I think that's where uh, artistic direction is really important. Yeah, I don't know. Everyone has their own design sensibilities, right? So I'm I'm not going to have any subjective comments about what is good or what is bad. But I think that we have an approach that means it's probably more minimalist. And, you know, we will have everything that it needs in there and it will not be too overstated. But hey, if a client comes to us and says, oh, I need to, ah, okay, then we make that, you know. One of the things you brought up earlier is how many things got moved from post-production to pre-production. I think a lot of that has to be because the, the, the vision is that much more clear now. How does that affect your workflow nowadays? I honestly think that this is a, both an essential question to ask and also a how long is a piece of string question. So I quite thoroughly believe that if you're given six weeks to make a production, then you need six weeks to make a production. If you get given six months, it turns out you need six months. Some of these projects come to us quite last minute, and I mean less than a month away. And if you have to produce content within that time frame, yeah, a month is is usually fine. But again, it depends on your requirements. If if it needs to be photorealistic, yeah, you're gonna spend a lot of time lighting scenes, optimizing them. Your creation process is gonna take a long time. If it can look a bit more animated, maybe. Well, and, and for us, that's mainly the, the difference between going for something like Notch, which is very responsive, very good at last minute changes and, and quick turnarounds uh, mm -hmm. versus Unreal, which has a, you know, it has an amazing workflow and, and the results look stunning, but it's not as, uh, I would say, last minute friendly as, as Notch can be no doubt that you're going to have people that disagree with that statement <laughs> which is uh, <laughs> totally fine and i'm sure they're not wrong so I, I really think it depends it depends on your budget it depends on how much time you're given and uh, but usually like i said all of this stuff is is very last minute everything needs to happen now and it's only now that we are starting to look a bit further ahead uh, with projects that are a bit further down the line you go okay so how are we going to do this and yeah it's, sometimes productions will just define well, this is the scene that we're going to play back and that's it. So it's right. a bit easier that way. So it, it really depends. So let's, let's take it a little bit deeper dive into the zoom fatigue that you had mentioned. Mm. You talked about some people asking about uh, how they want a hundred thousand people to be joining in on their zoom meeting, but they're also aware that zoom fatigue is real. 
what responsibilities do you and I have as part of the production team to take responsibility for Zoom fatigue and uh, and the addictiveness of the content? It, that really it depends, right? Like probably the question stems from why is audience interaction necessary, uh, and what what does that add? Because I think if if the reason for the interaction is good enough, then the fatigue is also probably non-existent. You know, like good like point. the ADE, the ADE I was just mentioning is really active. People are actually dancing on camera. They're doing things. There's no fatigue there. There's actually enjoyment, and that's right. great. Uh, I think if you look at the uh, the Billie Eilish um, uh, stream not too long ago. I'm not sure if that was live Zoom or if it wasn't live, but it doesn't really matter. It's a way of basically bringing their fans, their audiences into their show. And that's a really cool way to connect to your audience. And But yeah, I mean, the, the sample size of the people that you see is relatively very small as opposed to the people that are probably watching that stream. So I think it's important that things are, are like that are taken into account. Uh, I think at the end of the day, if if what you're doing is a stream, it automatically feels more corporate maybe, you know, like if it's a presentation anyway, right? Mm -hmm. So if you want your people in there, you're going to have to accept it's a functional thing that we're doing here, you know, uh, because at the end of the day, you can't tell me that you've never been to some conference and you sat on a chair and you weren't falling asleep. Like this, you're, we're just moving the problem basically, right? So uh, the question is how how are you how do you keep people entertained all of the time through every which means? Well, that's kind of difficult, right? So uh, I think it's up to us to make sure that we make things that support the message that's being told, and that doesn't distract from the message. Uh, but as far as solving Zoom fatigue, I mean, I'm sure someone else would have earned a million dollars if they solved that by now fully. Oh, yeah. Yeah, look, there's. Uh, I think if you combine that uh, with the post effects from Notch, you can do some really cool stuff. Uh, <laughs> no, but really. And I yeah. think the way that people see themselves back uh, creates an engaging thing to look at. And yeah. that's what will help uh, kind of alleviate that that thing. But again, it's probably... You know, if if you're looking at a at a corporate event for a bank, then it will have a certain aesthetic. It's not going to be playful. It'll be functional, mm -hmm. and it'll it'll look clean or it'll look whatever. But you know, there will be limited freedom as far as <laughs> what what you can give your audience. You know, so I mm -hmm. think it's more. Yeah, the Zoom is just a means to it, and just like I'm calling with you right now. You know, I'm sure I prefer to just have a conversation with you, but this is a solution to a problem so yeah i think that's one of the major problems with the, the zoom fatigue it's not exactly the zoom part it's the the feelings after the zoom the when i've had a creative meeting via zoom i feel like we've create we've finished the material parts of the meeting but it doesn't fulfill the social needs that we have as as social creatures you know to be that's... able to yeah, that's really a good point. Okay, so my my company is inherently socially distant because we work from different countries. So it's not that we have Zoom is basically what we do. That's how we communicate. I mean, we use Slack, but same thing, really. The water cooler talk, this is what I said to the guys. Like, look, basically, because we don't have that, it means we are always working. We're always doing. We don't take five minutes 
to walk up, walk outside, go have a coffee. Where is that? Yeah. Where, I mean, where is it? That's really a thing. You know, it's, you're just there, you're doing your thing, you focus, and then you do the other thing, and then you do the other thing. So you really, that's really, and I think, yeah, being in an office is a sociable thing also, whether you like it or not, but there are some benefits to that that surround that type of interaction that you just don't have anymore when you work from home. So, yeah, I get it. I, uh, I recently finished a show in Las Vegas, and I was in Las Vegas, and the designers were in London, and then we finished the show my brain and my whole body was like, okay, well, this is the time we go for drinks and we pat each other on the back and we high five and we celebrate and we, if everything goes right, we end the night with a, a good man hug and we just pat each other on the back. But <laughs> now the end of the show happened and it was just a, a hang up of a zoom. It was very unfulfilling that's a very real concern for our entire industry these days. Yeah, how how do you not become an NPC, right? Like, it's like, how do you? How do yeah. You, well, well, where am I more than the plot function? Oh wait. Uh, yeah, it's the human interaction, basically, right? Because everyone's doing their job. But if all you do is log in and log it out at the end, yeah, I mean, look, I, I we're think... gonna have to. Ju- We'll have to be adults about it and say that the world is just not in a place to have that luxury. It will come back, but let's not lose any sleep over that. You know, like there's bigger issues than than that right now. And I think, yeah, as lame as that might sound, but yeah, but it, it, there are very real mental health concerns there that we have to address. That we can't let people think that that's unique to them that this is a very real feeling that we all have right now. We're all isolated. It's, it's unnatural. On that topic, we, we, so we just did a production that lasted for a few weeks and there were some positive Corona cases on it. So that needed to be dealt with. And one of the people that suffered from that, I mean, the person was relatively fine. They had a, you know, a flu, like you'd have a flu and, and, they were seemingly okay otherwise, luckily. But then they were constrained to be in a hotel room for 10 days straight, and they couldn't leave. And they were like, yeah, can you imagine? Do you know what a person needs after being stuck in a hotel room for 10 days? I was like, well, yeah, that's not great, is it? So, yeah, I mean, I think I'm actually the worst example as far as this is concerned, because uh, I'm quite introverted. I can be quite extroverted, but as a person, I don't mind spending time on my computer doing my own thing for a month. I'm totally cool. But a lot of people have a need to to be with other people and to talk to yeah. them and to interact. And yeah, I think that those people suffer right now. I know they do, you know, and it's it's not good. Like look at my own girlfriend and she she is super social and, and everything is relative, right? So I know where I was at a few years ago and I know where I'm at right now. I think right now I'm in a position where I have a lot to lose because I gained a lot in the last couple of years. And I know what this industry has brought me, but I know people that are not in that same position necessarily. And even people that I don't know that that may just be already, you know, hanging on by a thread. And then this happens. And then I'm like, how are these people going to, How? what if you have a normal job? You, you're not a freelancer, you don't have a company, you have money. No, what if you just have a, have a job? 
how many months wages do you have in your bank account? Like, honestly, how many? Because it's not going to be that many. How are you going to pay your rent? How are you? What is your next year gonna? What is your next month gonna look like? I mean, this is miserable. If you have money worries in any case, life is not that good, you know. And I think this is a situation that is, yeah, well, trouncing everything that came before, basically, right? So, yeah. Uh, and then it's completely country dependent on how how much support you're seeing. I mean, people in the UK get some support, mm-hmm. but our industry doesn't. And I, I find it really it goes to a much more base level which is what are people if there isn't any culture if that's not being celebrated if that's not being made and enjoyed what are we doing exactly you know why do people go to war well because they are convinced of their ways of living and because they care about their culture mm-hmm. that's what they want to protect yeah and and i think a pandemic is going to put a bit of a downer on that for a bit i'm not i don't think it's going to go away but it's gonna halt things for a while for sure. And and yeah, I'm convinced that some, hopefully not too many, but some professionals in our industry, they're not gonna stay in our industry, you know? That's why people talk about this, this skill exodus, you know, which makes sense. Cause if you don't do this for a while, you don't know how to do it, right? Like you can't not touch a lighting desk for a year and then be as good as you were a year ago. It doesn't work like that. This is really a skills-based industry and you need to keep at it. Otherwise, you're no longer the person to do it. And that's really cruel, but it's exactly how it goes because that year later, that next client will still need the same results. So what are you gonna do, you know? And I think that's what, you know, we train, we we focus really heavily on, on training people and keeping them busy and also basically, talking to them and seeing how they're doing. Are you okay? Are you getting through? Do you have enough money? You know, like, and we try and put people on the jobs, not based on that fact, but, and yeah, you know, basically you just want to care for the people that you want to care about, right? So we try and do that as well as we can. Uh, the world is no longer merit-based as much as it was before, maybe. Mm. You know, like, I don't know if you... Because it doesn't matter if you're good or bad at your job, you may just not have any work, right? Mm-hmm. If if all you did is concert touring, where would you suddenly get a job in XR? That makes no sense. <laughs> right? Like it's it's like, you know what I mean? Like how do you suddenly how do you go into these different directions unless you were maybe already kind of headed there? Also, you just roll into things, right? Like ninety percent of us didn't choose to do this when we were, like. When you're 10 years old, you're going to want to be a fireman or something. You're like, oh, I want to be an LD. I know some people, though. I know those people are really hard to compete with. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I think if you're working right now and you're not happy about it, please go do something else because there will be someone out there (laughs) who really needs it and who really does want to do it. Other than that, I I don't know. I mean, we're all just honestly... our last few weeks is just us compensating for the rest of the year, you know, and uh, we are doing relatively fine. I think as far as XR is concerned, we're doing really well. But uh, yeah, like I said, I it's super hard. You, know? you talked about how not exactly a merit-based industry anymore. Pre-pandemic and even, I'm going to say even the generation before you and I, they were so entrenched in working 
80 hours a week, 90 hours a week, 100 hours a week as a badge of honor. Mm-hmm. And now how helpful okay, fine. is that? I, I, shouldn't, I shouldn't have even gone there, basically, because as soon as I said it, I thought, yeah, well, that also doesn't take into account politics and uh, cronyism and uh, everything else that basically our industry drives on, <laughs> you know, like thrives on. Uh, that's really a thing. Like I, and I'm, and I'm sure anyone who's been around this industry for some time has run into that thing where you go, really, that person is doing that job. How, you know? And I think that will probably, but that's never going to go away. You know, no. that's that's just how things are. And in that regard, I want to believe that merit is the thing that gets you, you know. Put in the work, and you're going to get some results. But the world just doesn't work like that, sadly. Yeah, you know. So I think for a lot of us, we've been convinced that their worth was based on the amount of hours that they worked that mm. week, and now yeah. it's kind of come back in our faces. Like that doesn't really matter as much. Like you need to take care of yourself right now, and your job is not your identity right now. You need to. <laughs> Are you kind of hunker down? And, atta- yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm a massive workaholic, and I de- <laughs> I really identify with that. So, um, I will tell you this. Uh, yeah, I think that's really a thing, both for better and worse, mind you. I think yes. I don't think work is a crutch. I think really some people. I think in life you need a purpose, and for me, work is my purpose, and I think that's perfectly good. Uh, having a reason to get out of bed in the morning is very good and really important. And, uh, you know, it helps you build a future, at least mm-hmm. in your head, whatever the hell, you know. Um, I think that's really important. But it was the, I have never been home as much in the last eight years, I think, as I have been this year. Same. And it was, it was a Monday night somewhere in the summer. And I remembered that I had to take the trash out for the Tuesday. This has never happened before, I can tell you. <laughs> it's like, I'm talking to my neighbors. Who are these people? <laughs> what is, I'm at home and I'm okay with it. What is this? It's, a, oh it's my really God. weird. I, I cleaned my garage for the second time. <laughs> well, there we go. Normally, <laughs> I clean the garage once every five years. You know, no, but you, yeah, it's a really weird confrontational thing. We have to learn that half our industry probably doesn't know how to live at home. You know? Yeah, they're always away. Yeah, they're always away. And then, and I noticed it here as well because I come home after five week production, and then my girlfriend is loading the dishes, and I'm like, "You asshole! You should be helping her." It's just not a natural response anymore because I've just been eating dinners delivered to my room every day. You know, and you just have to adjust. And that's really interesting. And I think it's actually, I've been very happy that I've actually been able to be home a few months, but I'd rather not have it forced on me like this. Yeah. But, you know, yeah, really. But then that's what I mean. I think a lot of people in our industry also tour and do things to get away from that. And now they're forced to be at home. And I think that's, uh, well, you know, basically anything can turn into a sad story really quick. But, look existence is just what it is you know yeah. parts of it are going to be great and parts of it are going to suck and all you can do is everything you can so i yeah. you know i can't i don't know how to make that any better or worse but uh, yeah i i hope that our industry gets back on its feet like it used to but i think uh what 
Bill Gates said is probably true, where he thinks that 30% of office-based work is not going to return to offices post-pandemic. I agree. And, and I think that our industry will also take a hit of a percentage like that, basically, post-lockdown COVID, that we'll see more virtual events that will stay virtual. And people will like that too, you know, that'll draw in a new kind of crowd. Yeah. I don't know. It, it's really difficult, basically, to, to say anything sensible that's also going to come true, you know? So, yeah. If, uh, if anything, this has showed a lot of our, a lot of the people in our industry that even if we are at home, we can still create magical events. I think that's you. Yeah. That, that highlights actually something really positive. Like, I like working from home actually because you know it means i can i can plan my day as i like i get out of bed i work on my couch do everything on my mac and then other work i do on my on my workstation and i can plan my day and it's fine it's great and it's good so there's definitely some benefits i don't have travel fatigue which is like actual physical fatigue um but i also you know after being away for five weeks i am absolutely drained because i'm also not used to doing that anymore but it's yeah look uh, every up has its down you know like i think there's for some people this will be really good and for some people it will just not really work like i never really functioned very well in an office environment but i function great working at home being super productive so hey that's great for me but i'm sure for other people dude if you're a guitar tech what the hell are you gonna do at home the whole day that's like you know what I mean? Like, if yeah. you're a backliner, what the hell are you going to do? You're going to build your Marshall stacks in your living room? Really? Like, what the hell? No, you're going to have to find a hobby and do something else. Mm-hmm. And uh, and you better hope that that work returns or you're going to have to shift directions quite radically. And this is the other thing that we were thinking about quite a lot is with the, the work in video and media servers and projection that we do, we were already right there. You know, it was already all virtual anyway. What's the difference? We just have to pivot. Yeah, sure, there's a learning curve. How do we do XR? What, what, what parameters does that consist of? But what if, what if you're a presenter? What if you're an actor? What if, you're, what if you're a stage manager? Well, they still get applied in these productions, but the amount is much less. You know, like those 90% of our industry can't just pivot to something new because it's not really there. You know, and things are also still about money. So now you're also competing for fewer jobs with, you know, people maybe you didn't even compete with before. Yeah. So sink or swim, you know, I mean, I don't know how to make this sound nice because it just isn't. So we are just lucky that we can deal with it and we do that as well as we can. And that's all we can do. You know, how else to put it? But there's don't, don't like and I will make that statement like the. Uh, the competencies necessary to do XR well are really impressive. Like if you if you find and the talent that you find actually on Facebook groups for people that do virtual production is absolutely insane because you will immediately be talking to people that work on Star Wars and like properly do that stuff. And it's like, all right, do we compete with them now? I don't think so. You know what I mean? Like you can't just. It's literally like, oh, we don't do this. And if you do, you're in that group of people and you better do it that well. So you better do it well because everyone's going to judge you. So it's, it's also, uh, it's, XR is also a really massive land grab right now. So, you know, I mean, if you do it, do it well or just don't bother because it's not fun. <laughs> 
yeah, but it's fun to us, so it's it's okay. You know, it's it's pleasing when it works. I think when the tracking when the tracking is smooth, it's there's nothing more pleasing because you go, oh, look at that, and it looks good in person in volume, and you see it moving and it tracks. You're like, that's super cool. So there is something pleasing about it. But yeah, uh, you I just mentioned something I, I definitely want to talk about for a little bit. Mm -hmm. uh, the world of content generation and XR is seriously like the wild west right now, isn't it? it it's not, there's no gatekeepers anymore. It's just, Oh, there's uh, the massive power of your computer. Now. No, there is, there's massive gatekeepers actually. Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's definitely gatekeepers and it's people from the community themselves. Um, really? Yeah, for sure. Because everyone tries to sell this, so people don't want to give away the knowledge. People want to protect their business as much as they have any, right? And uh, and it yeah, it's it's fierce competition basically. I mean, I'm not sure if it's any more fierce than it was before, but uh, but it's definitely there. And uh, yeah, that's okay, very maybe. true. And and I think uh, the um, I mean the ability to deliver things is really no different. A lot of this stuff is the same. You know, you're going to promise something, you need the skill sets to deliver. So in that regard. Not that difficult, but a lot of people are so new to doing XR that you also basically you need to know how to do the job before you've ever done it. And and then yeah, that's it's 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 almost kind of a chicken and egg thing, you know. You have to do it more often, but then you then don't maybe you don't get to do it so often, but maybe you do. So it's part skill and part luck, I think. And then there's yeah, I think that the competition is really fierce. And depending on who you talk to they will be very happy to talk to you. No one's going to gatekeep knowledge about how to program a lighting desk. You know, no one does that. No one cares. Uh, but this is still maturing a lot. And that's why people want to protect things that are basically not theirs to protect. So let's present a hypothetical situation, which is slightly less than hypothetical. But let's say a <laughs> yeah, okay. programmer on a tour designs a notch block that works perfectly as the artist wanted. Yeah. Then mid tour, that programmer gets fired mm. and they take that notch block with them to the next tour. Does that <laughs> notch block belong to the programmer or does that notch block belong to the artist? For us, it's really simple. So, in, and I think it will stay for a while, but there's some shows for which we provide the content and then some for which uh, usually we take over the workflow. And in cases where <laughs> this is just basic contracting, really, you, right. you need to just write it in. If you're going to leave on bad terms, it shouldn't even matter because your contract should basically say uh, at the end of it, production owns this content. Or okay. we own a contract, you're going to pay royalties X amount for every show that you're going to use this on, whatever. Usually, if things are okay, you should allow for changes to be made, I think. Right. Um, but it doesn't always work out like that, and bad blood can make things pretty bad. So, I mean, I, I think that there is such a thing as uh, artistic integrity and the fact that, you know, if you, would, you wouldn't expect... Uh, uh, Van Gogh to paint like Picasso because he doesn't, mm -hmm. and uh, and I think as far as as much as digital content is concerned, it's maybe harder to distinguish who has made what, 
but that's still very real. Like an idea came from somewhere and, and a thing was made in a certain way for certain reasons. Yeah, but is there IP attached to that? I mean, uh, yeah, there's definitely creative rights. Basically, just in yeah, in that specific scenario, I I hope that the programmer did their job and basic yeah. But if there's nothing in, it sounds like they didn't do their job. So I don't know what to say besides you invited the mess because you didn't write it down. That's what it comes down to. If you are in conversations like this, make sure that you understand who takes this home. Like when we do a tour, we discuss who owns the disguise project. Okay. Because we don't want people screwing up our programming. This is stuff that we have to think about because it matters, you know, because someone else will see this. And then if it's our work, but it's been screwed up by someone else, well, who are they going to point fingers at? Right. You know, so uh, these things are not that they're that big when it comes to disguise programming at all. This is usually content related, right? Right. Um, uh, but it's, it's also the reason like why we have to wait on sign off before we can post things to our website. Or to Facebook, because if things have not been signed off, yeah, you're going to get your ass whooped because, well, you were an idiot, probably. So it matters a lot. Usually whoever pays owns the content. That's usually how it goes. Got it. Unless it's specified otherwise. But, but yeah, you know, otherwise you have no business. You know, I mean, if you if you make something, I would always discuss that at the start of the project. You know, like, no matter what happens, this is yours. You paid for it. Unless they haven't paid for it. That's a whole different story. Right. You know, if they haven't paid for it, I would say, no, we're going to do whatever the <laughs> hell we want. Because we put in the time, we put in the hours, this is ours. Right. You got to enjoy it, but so did we. And and that's okay. You know, like, we have some of those agreements where we basically sponsor a bit of the work. But then the PR at the end of it is shared. Okay. And that's okay. Then we can say, yeah, you get the PR, you get to show us off, but so do we. And then that's that's a, those understandings are fine as well. Yeah, no, I've actually been in that position uh, where I had to reprogram a large touring show, and I had to re-edit things and place them and read sometimes redo whole tracks and basically redesign what the look on stage would be. There was no communication with the original creators because they had delivered it, and that's the end of it. So we just discussed with DLD, and is that are we all happy with that? Does it do the timings work? Yep. Okay. Cool. That's how we run the show. You know, and and sometimes there's no way around it because if you is that Lollapalooza? I don't know. There's one of these big shows that has the LED screens that go back and front. It's this massively wide, you know, angled LED screen. Basically, no other festival uses a setup like that. And basically, your show is not going to look good there unless you reprogram and repurpose the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And you will just have to do that. Otherwise, you don't have a show. So whoever made the content doesn't have a say because what are they going to say? You can't have a show? No, of course you're going to make a show. Every angle is different, <laughs> you know? Yeah, the lines are so gray because like, when you're altering somebody else's creation in the name of the artist or by the request of the artist... Do you have to check with the original designer or do you? Oh, yeah. It's not theirs anymore, though. It's... Well, it depends. It depends. Right. I think uh, if you happen to be friends with these people, you can definitely check out of courtesy and be like, look, this is what we're going to do because it's what they want. But it may right. not even be your place to have that conversation. But if their name's on it, then you have to check with them. It's like this, this tour was designed by X. Then you got to check and say, hey, X, I'm going to. 
I'm altering all your stuff at the request of the artist. Yeah, that's hey, but but this is what I mean. It, at the end of the day, it's X's job to write their contracts how they need them to be. Right. You know, if that contract definitively states we company XYZ made this content, we are the only ones that get to work in this content. Chances are you're just not going to get the job. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because because that's, that you know, but if you do have that trust and that faith with that client, great. Then you should definitely check and they should make those changes and you should go back to production and say, look, uh, this is creative rights. This They have made this, so they should make these edits. That's really uh, sincere. You know, like I would appreciate it if people take that approach for sure. But whether or not that's the right decision to make, uh, really, let's be honest, on tours, people care for themselves. And yeah. They have to. And, you know, so if you get told what to do, you're going to told what, because at the end of the day, you have no legal risk, right? You're just going to be told, well, my production manager told me to do this, so I'm doing my job. Yeah. Go, go bitch to that person, you know? So what does the next guy care? It's not his problem or her yeah. problem, right? In uh, in that regard, we're still very Wild West and we're still very, uh, we're very, we're just a bunch of band of pirates at that point we're just like oh, i'm just doing what i need to do to make tonight happen we'll deal with that if something ever gets yeah. if anybody ever gets upset about it we'll deal with that later but tonight yeah. i'm making these edits and it's happening yeah exactly i find these are uh, they're good topics to discuss but they're unproductive conversation to have because at the end <laughs> of the day <laughs> is that fair yeah like, that's a good that's I, a good description you know, it's like, yeah, I mean, I can have an opinion about it, but at the end of the day, it'll depend on the on the situation itself and the people involved, how they're going to deal with it. And, yeah. you know, if it, as far as, yeah, I don't know, like ownership of things is kind of a thing, but at the end of the day, I'm quite pragmatic when it comes to business. So I would think, did they pay it? Did they pay for it? Great. If the money is in my account, what the hell do I care? You can do whatever. <laughs> Go ahead. You know, like, I mean, our work, you're going to have to accept. Our work has a really temporal quality to it. You're right. going to have to be there to see it. It's not like it hangs in a museum and you're going to watch it 300 years from now. I hope it does get conserved some way where that is the case. Mm -hmm. But our art is not that type of art, usually. But it might be. And I, I do think if you're company is at risk of being misrepresented that's very serious right like if if you've specifically made choices about lines at some angle and colors that need to be a specific way and someone else comes in and fucks that up i'd be really angry so yeah and that's what i mean with that sort of uh, artistic integrity and but basically it just comes down to writing everything down correctly and, and making sure you have a good contract so you're going to have to accept that someone has designed something with a certain vision in mind, but your business circumstance will define whether or not you have to care about that or not. Yeah. If we would have to sum this up, I think that's the, the goal here is make sure that you have a, a well thought out contract and be prepared for, for everything. Cause it, it is, a, everything's changing. There's so much uncertainty in this world right now. If you, yeah, I mean, if you haven't mentioned it, if you haven't discussed it, if you haven't gone, well, look, this is right here. Because at the end of the day, that's all people care about. If if they've signed something that, that they've agreed to, it's right there, man. So, you know, and we, we've, everyone has been in these conversations too, where you go, no, no, 
sorry, it's this many days, that's it. You're gonna have to put your foot down and uh, and yeah, and if you haven't written it down, well, then you've learned a lesson, hopefully over not too much money. Yeah, I think that's just basic business. You, you basically, yeah. I think that you, you're gonna have to accept if, if you work for a large company, you're building someone else's future. The company yeah. is gonna care about the company. Yep. You need to care about you. And if you're a freelancer, man, you better care about you because uh, no one else is gonna. Uh, you're gonna have to really take care of business and otherwise some other shark is gonna eat you. That's really how it is, you know? And there's nothing more I can add to it. It doesn't matter how good you are. If you don't do your contracts right, you have no foot to stand on. Yeah. It's not, it's not it's, it's, there's, there's no room for being nice. It doesn't even have a place. You know, you just need to, because we can all work together in a nice way, but at the end, my contract is still going to say you're going to have to pay by date X, Y, Z. And if you don't, I can be your best friend, but I'm not going to be on site for you because it doesn't work like that. You know? Yeah. Spoken like a true pragmatist. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's how it is. Yeah. You know, you can't, you can't demand if you don't deliver. And that goes from every end. So that's, that's a great way to end the, end the podcast. Thank you so much for, sp for sharing your philosophies on this. This is it's very enlightening. And it, it, these are all very real concerns that a lot of people are having these days. Good. Well, I hope it's useful to someone. Uh, thank you very much for, for having me on. It's been a pleasure.